Hey everyone, and welcome to Data Femme, where we engage you with stories of how innovators across the globe are using data to achieve new heights in their respective industries. I'm Danielle, founder of Decayo Data, and I know you haven't heard from me in a while. That's not usual. Normally you hear from me all the time. The reason is because I lost my grandmother last week. Her name was Dr. Shinanda Mitra, and she was an incredible woman, both just as a person and as a grandmother who was more like a mom to me, but also as a really prominent figure in physics, engineering, and neuroscience at Texas Tech since she moved from India and she went to Germany after India and then she arrived in Lubbock before Texas Tech was a big thing. Um, she was part of making it a big thing. So my mom and I are in Texas right now and it's been pretty difficult. Um, the loss of her is so significant for both of us. So. I actually, <laughs> I inadvertently convinced my mom to record this podcast a little bit about her work, my work, and how we're going to honor my grandmother, who I call Bibu, through her work and continuing that legacy. So my mom didn't know the recording was happening at the time, but you won't be able to tell that from the quality of this episode because it turned out really well. And Aside from being something I wanted to do in memorial of my grandmother, I feel like this episode will be really interesting for y'all cybersecurity folks. Um, I don't know a lot about cybersecurity yet, but my mom knows a lot. So if you're interested at all in breaking into that field, this will be a good start for you. So sit back and relax. And I promise I will be back on my regular schedule for you soon. recording this with my mom and I'm trying to be as serious as possible which for those of you who know us is hard because she is literally the cutest little woman in the world and she also has quite the academic pedigree having moved from Juilliard as a doctorate in music and piano and now she is a cybersecurity professor at University of Texas San Antonio so Mama, would you like to tell us a little bit about how you got into this field? Well, to the first question, I came into cybersecurity from computer science. And I had switched to computer science because of a couple of reasons. One, I had a shoulder injury and um, wasn't able to perform. And I was kind of thinking about switching anyway because I wasn't able to travel as much and um, my lifestyle really wasn't conducive to being a classical musician. Uh, so I was thinking about switching anyway and then I had the shoulder injury. So I thought about what I wanted to do and I'd always wanted to either be a 
a geneticist or an astronomer. So work with big things or little things. And uh, right then at that time, the genome was being investigated and compiled basically by computer scientists. So I thought that would be a good way to get into genomics. And then after I got my computer science degree, I kind of just went into different directions, not into genomics, but into educational technology. And um, that was fun. So I freelanced uh, there, working on different projects related to education. And part of that, my last project was building an online cybersecurity program. And so that's how I came into cybersecurity, not at all because of the field, but because of ed tech. But because of my computer science background, I was able to pick up the cybersecurity portion, particularly the coding and the hacking parts, because computer languages, com computer programming languages, and just binary, like assembly language, and um, zeros and ones and all that kind of stuff is needed in cybersecurity to figure out how a hack happened. So now I love it. I love that kind of hacking, this, especially the low level, what's happening at the machine uh, level in the registers and in memory. So I really like it and, and I have a lot more to learn, but I, I really like it. And Java is not so related to cybersecurity. Uh, it's related in that people hack programs with Java, but it, to use cybersecurity, one really needs to know Python. And Python is used for data science too. So do you know, what does what the overlap look like with that? Like what kind of data mining and machine learning capacities of Python do you have to know? So cybersecurity typically has been very manual. So people get into, they'll look at something kind of like an investigation or forensic investigation. They'll get the data and they look at it by hand almost. I mean, it's digital, it's on the computer, but there's no programs that are sifting through that massive amount of data. And now there's a lot more data. So the way cybersecurity is related to data analytics now is that there's just too much data to analyze it in any other way but to use machine learning. So that's one of the emerging uh, fields in cybersecurity is how to automate um, with supervised learning and how to automate and predict when the next attack is going to happen. So that we're not totally doing that yet, but it's in the it's a, it's a field that needs to be developed. So that's how Python can help both. Right now, Python is used in cybersecurity to script, um, partially to automate, to automate processes and to use big libraries, just like in data science. So um, it's like an integrator and an interface for all sorts of fields uh, in addition to data science. So it's useful that way. It's easy to learn. It's easy to use just at the command line or without a bunch of, you know, um, additional software. It's not an enterprise level programming language uh, most of the time. And it also works well with C. Python is mainly written in C. So uh, because, because cybersecurity people who work close to the machine use C a lot, it interfaces well there.
So I would say there's not so much of an overlap right now, but there should be. That's what I was thinking because I didn't know until now that Python was the main language. There's so many data scientists that know Python and are looking for jobs and opportunities. And especially like a lot of black women I know have learned Python and are looking to get into the field, but they don't really know that cybersecurity is connected. And I didn't know, I mean, I didn't know that that was something that somebody with Python knowledge could transition into and do. Because data scientists kind of view cybersecurity as like the unknown amorphous thing that really smart people do, you know, not for us. But well, cybersecurity is involved in everything. Like it's involved in everything we do. So there's no choice but to be involved in it. We all have like financial experts, everyone. Somebody I was talking to in the healthcare industry the other day had to be careful with some materials. Um, but also, if somebody in data science wanted to get a gig in cybersecurity, uh, knowing Python by itself is probably not enough, but if you work in a Linux environment and you know Bash too, that's a scripting language, um, those two components, knowing an operating system, particularly Linux, but you could know PowerShell and Windows really well too. Um, so you need to know an operating system because it's close to the hardware and the scripting language that's most associated with that operating system, Bash with Linux, PowerShell with Windows, and then Python can serve as a Okay. Good. Yeah, that's interesting because a lot of people wouldn't want to learn the operating system if they know Python, but a lot of people would. So. How can data science be more connected to cybersecurity then? Like, how they can we bridge not, that gap? Yeah, they would they would be connected in, in the way data science scientists are connected in every field is helping cyber people know how to analyze large data sets and find the key elements, uh, kind of a, a forensically finding what gives them the, the information they need to know when a system is vulnerable. So um, the cyber people will be able to look for those key indicators or flags as we call them. So um, we could work with data scientists on what are the flags, what are we looking for? Um, and data scientists can help us comb through large data sets and figure out how to how to find those flags. And mm -hmm. not only find those flags, but come up with a, a library of what are the typical flags, uh, where do they usually exist, uh, so we know kind of what's vulnerable already, and then that leads to predicting what might happen in the future. I think this will get the discussion going with a lot of people who know what R and Python libraries are being used right now for cybersecurity, because some people really do know, like there are a lot of security talks happening in data science realms, but it's definitely not the center. But a lot of us really want to know about, know more about it. Um, what are some of the worst things that could happen when your data isn't secure and you don't have the right systems in place? Well, entire countries can go black. That's the worst worst thing. Somebody can 
um, like with the famous Stuxnet um, incident in Iran, somebody can get into uh, a power grid or any kind of energy sector and really just make your country go black, maybe no water. Like what happened to Atlanta, they had a cyber attack and their whole city kind of went brown at least. So there can be really bad physical consequences. Mm -hmm. And then there's health care that would not be available. So it it's really, in one way, it's much more scary than any of us admit, including cybersecurity. And it's more scary now, I would think. Is anybody discussing how we're more vulnerable in that way now with our current COVID situation? Well, we're more vulnerable in that there's more attack vectors. So because more people are digital, digitally present, there's just more ways to hack. Um, but, and, and hacking a lot of the times happens by people who are just, you know, not really wanting anything particularly except for money. Uh, so like the Zoom bombing recently, when, when the pandemic started, people were just entering Zoom rooms uh, at corporate meetings, but now that we use encryption and Zoom got on the ball and, and had different mechanisms to ensure that hacks will still happen, but a lot less uh, once people become aware. So, but the other thing I think with the pandemic, yeah, there, there is more of a need for cybersecurity, but on the other hand, we're more aware too. And a lot of it is that people are working from home and they're Corporations don't necessarily require a VPN with encrypted communications. Many do, but some don't. Or you're freelancing and you just don't use an encrypted method of communication or a VPN. So that's that's where the major vulnerabilities will lie, I think, just in data that's traveling across the internet when you're working from home and you haven't taken the precautions to treat it like company data. And then the other thing, so that's one, that's probably one major, the major corporate kind of vulnerability as people are working remotely, that the remote connection is vulnerable. And it wouldn't have been in a corporate environment if you were at work. And then the other thing is that healthcare has always been vulnerable, and particularly telehealthcare, because the, they operate off wireless sensors um that travel the sensors themselves one of the problems in cybersecurity is that the engineering components the sensors uh the hardware they weren't built with security in mind so uh it just wasn't thought of and still is not a so how security. do you go back and fix those systems or do you just have to start all over well they try to patch like with the energy grid they try to patch through having uh, like a step away from the system, not the actual sensor, but outside of the sensor um, to protect that with a firewall. So it's not foolproof, but um, that's one method. New, new uh, technologies should take what's called security by design into account and design all their products with security as part of the development process instead of an afterthought. So that's kind of also an emerging concern to address and one that, that many people are talking about. So that's one thing, but a lot of the healthcare equipment 
well, some of it's very new, so maybe they're they're addressing security and their design, although it has to come out so quickly that uh, sometimes the product comes out before they can fully test for security. So in healthcare, that's a particular problem because say somebody's being tested remotely, they can't get to the doctor, they have a pacemaker, um, and somebody hacks into the pacemaker. And it, the pacemaker is not, it's not in a secure, the pacemaker hooks up to a, a wireless uh, device, like a router, so that router has to be secure and often it's not been addressed. So I'd say that the healthcare industry is another big vulnerability. Is this something that lawyers, people with formal JDs get involved with? Because I know that some policy directors at security firms do come from a legal background, like they went to law school and everything, but yeah, sure. you didn't go to law school and you're at the front of it. So I, what's the traditional background, I guess, that people are coming from? Yeah, there's, there's a whole field uh, called cyber law and uh, people in that background, some, many of them come from the military uh some of them you know a lot of them are lawyers who are interested in cybersecurity. uh it's it's kind of own field it's it's where legal crosses with data assurance so data security and that's a fascinating field on its own so cybersecurity, like you think of it as technical but it really crosses so many different fields including social science so like i'm on this more of the spectrum with with hardware software type things although i have a lot to learn too um, but there are people that are purely in law people in psychology people in criminal justice law enforcement um, government military do you interact with those people on a regular basis like law officials like how much communication is necessary i think if i was a practitioner a lot of communication would be necessary because I'm an educator, I work with them, and it's a, like a, such a privilege, work with people who are coming in from industry and from the government to teach special classes, uh, security classes, national security. They, they may have worked even uh, with counterintelligence, uh, NSA, FBI, all of those um kind of governmental agencies and it's they just are coming in to teach to teach the next generation so that's where i intersect with them and i've learned a lot it seems like there are women in your circle working and there are a lot of women that i've talked to that are really curious about cybersecurity. but is it a friendly field for a woman particularly a woman of color to go into now or is it still mainly male and white male run? Um, I think that uh, we need more women in the field and uh, well more women and more creative people of any gender because uh, cybersecurity is a very creative field. You have to think outside the box, you have to think on your feet, it's an improvisational field. Characteristics that lend themselves to being in cybersecurity are uh, flexibility, the uh, 
ability and passion for learning because you never you never just know a tool and then stick with it because it's always changing so and being able to take a concept and just applying it to a new tool so the ability and the willingness to keep learning and being able to apply it to non-traditional ways of thinking so in that way not only are we do we need to reach out to women in the field there aren't nearly enough women in the field and it's a huge opportunity for women because it's such a new field that nobody really has aside from these people i was just talking about that are in the military or that have worked years in security before it was called cybersecurity. aside from these experts there are many many positions available for people who are just willing to learn that's why i'm in the field i'm not an expert but i got in the field because i was willing to pick up enough to develop a program and then slowly i'm i'm picking up more so it's a really good field for not only women to enter who who want to go into a kind of technical or a broad-based technical social science field it's also good for people who are trying to change their career trying to get out of a bad situation and need to uh, find a job to launch another career or start a career. For all those reasons, I think it's perfect for people who don't fit a traditional mold. That's good to know. Do you feel like working in cybersecurity satisfies the things that made you want to be a geneticist and an astronomer? and even the things you miss about music? Well, that's a good question. The The reason I, would, I wanted to be a geneticist and an astronomer, one was to partially figure out how the world works. So I think cybersecurity hits that in a way, uh, not, not directly, but, but in a way. But the other reason I wanted to go into those fields is because there's something about humanity that's hidden those fields like helping helping humanity, helping the greater good, helping the world in some way. Cybersecurity definitely uh, fits that. And I love I love that about the field. And it not only hits it from the field itself, like keeping the world safe, but it also hits it from allowing a diverse population to come into the field because it's it's so new that people can learn people people who come into the field as an undergraduate some of them have no experience at all so some of these uh, other technical fields a lot of people have experience it's going to change but right now it's still pretty open so that that hits it uh creatively i i would say that that the sort of analytical thinking and the improvisation does does mirror some aspects of music. So there really is a lot of overlap between scientific fields, and especially in these new fields like data science, where people come from being a software engineer or a biologist or a geologist. So how can we take Didu's career as a physicist and an electrical engineer and even a neuroscientist in some ways and carry that tradition on and use that in, to inspire our careers. Well, data science is 
sort of, it's so inherent in everything now because we work with big data that it's not really, it's like it's, it's integral to every scientific field. So it's not so much that it's a field in itself that um, would exist apart from any scientific field that you just mentioned. It's that every single field must use big data sets now, and they must be able to gather insights from that data. So, and the more insights and the more nuanced that the, the data curation can be, the better for that field. So the need is not for just processing, but for insights from processing. And that's something that's creative and it's also something potentially that even though it can be automated, potentially at a really high level, it's something that only a human can do. So you have the automation to help you, but humans are creating that automation. So how do you create artificial intelligence systems that aren't biased, that that can be nuanced, that can take in factors that are much more um, global and not just even if you have supervised learning um, or unsupervised learning, that they can predict where people are going to look for information and predict what's going to happen, but they don't necessarily stay there. Like right now, when we look at our search engines, we see what we've seen before as users. But how can artificial intelligence systems not do that, I guess, and give us the same, give us the same information that we'd have if they weren't trying to predict, and at the same time try, try to predict. It's almost like, so on a user level, when you clear your cache in your browser and you sign into YouTube again, you don't have your history and you don't even sign into YouTube. Vastly different what comes up into your feed than when you're signed into your YouTube account and you've been looking at it for a while, you've been logged on for a while. Really two different ways of looking at the world. Like what I what information I get is vastly different. So there's something about that that's a little scary. Didu was working. Her last class was uh, deep learning, deep learning algorithms. So the the thing is, data scientists need physicists and um, really physicists and mathematicians to to improve these algorithms that I was just talking about. I mean, that's what Dida was doing. She wasn't really working with the applications of data science. She was working on how do those algorithms work, trying to explain to her students. So uh, it's like a tiered field with a lot of different people, mostly mathematicians, um, some physicists. Some I think it's pretty cool that she stayed in her career for so long when when she started working, big data wasn't even a word. Right, she got into it because of image processing. Image processing has to take in a lot of data and make sense out of it. So little did we know that that would happen um, with all sorts of data. But at the time, she was just trying to gather the most important parts of a medical image to determine if somebody had a disease. Mm -hmm. So very similar to 
uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning, but she came to it from image processing and that's what got her interested. Yeah, I think it's a good lesson for us to always expect to have to just learn something completely new when the world changes. Right, right. And remember, she went into electrical engineering, which you can say is related to physics, but she had to learn whole new courses. So she was able to do it because she had a background in physics, but it was not the same field. Yeah, and it takes a lot of real love for learning and motivation to want to do that. Yeah, she really had that. And she worked in radiology. She just really, she was happy learning. Yep. Well, are there any of you that are familiar with losing someone very close to you? You understand that the stages of grief are not linear. Um, it will always feel like a loss to not have this amazing person in our lives. And if anyone is going through similar things, as always, feel free to reach out to me at Data on Twitter or Dikayo at DikayoData.com for email. I am not just your data science informant. I also really want to use this platform that's grown so much over the past less than a year, but almost a year since we started to really foster a community that's close and that can rely on each other during tough times within our small industry. So I will see you next week, of course. Um, I am available on Twitter. As I said, my DMs are open. And stay strong, everybody. We're still in the thick of it with COVID-19. And I would love for us to be here for each other as much as possible. 